This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann. I'm at Otago Polytechnic today, and I am joined from Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Hello, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well indeed. How are things going in Fakatani today? Um, it is a slightly overcast day, and it's still incredibly warm, and we still haven't had a frost, and it's May. Exactly. I don't think we've had a frost. and It's, it's alarming. It's, it is very alarming, and... It's kind of that weird position of saying, actually, this weather is glorious, and but is it climate change? What happens to stone fruit that doesn't have proper winter cooling? There are big changes afoot. Hmm. What happened to Fakatani in that um, the the GIS the map that was released earlier this week, the climate change one? Well, it's very weird to say <laughs> that we're fine for. Um, for for sea level rise because uh, because our land is all lifting up because we sit on the edge of the Hikarangi Trench and we are surrounded by three active volcanoes. So everything is, oh no, sorry, one active volcano and two, two that are just sleeping, but we have so much seismic activity, our land is lifting up. So, so it's like, yay, uh, we're not going to get coastal inundation as bad as some places, but we're all going to fall off into the sea when the big earthquake comes. <laughs> so, and the river will flow backwards. Yeah, will. And who are we introducing today? Um, today it is my absolute great pleasure to introduce Joy Davis. Joy is the regional, regional coordinator for neighbourhood support. She's the chair of the Mosgiel Tidy uh, Community Board and really lovely to say that Joy is going to stand in the upcoming local body elections for Dunedin City Council. Joy, what a great pleasure it is to have you here. Thank you very much for joining us today. Gosh, you do some great work. Oh, thank you very much for the invitation. And um, it's a lot of people that you work with that do the great work, really. It's, um, it's not one person. None of this stuff happens alone. Welcome, Joy. Joy, we've been asking people how their bubble life was, and of course that's now turning into history, but we're asking you anyway. How was your bubble life? Well, my bubble life to start with was actually in the first lockdown, uh, very difficult because I live by myself and my family live out of town. At one at that stage, I had one daughter living in Scotland and my son lived in Invercargill. So I was quite, like many people, I'm sure, a bit shocked and apprehensive and concerned 
about how that was all going to work out, especially when one of my lovely friends said, well, I'll see you in a few weeks, hopefully. So I really, you know, they're good things to tuck away and remember what that feels like for people in different situations. I'd also just started my new role as regional coordinator for Targa Neighbourhood Support. So that was really challenging as well, because we're all about getting out and meeting people in their communities. And we were all stuck inside our bubbles. Good, good opportunity to start thinking outside the square and how we could still maintain contact with people. I think you're right that it is a thing that we do need to tuck away and remember about people that are on their own or otherwise vulnerable because it's it's easy for us to just get on with our lives and forget that. It is. It is. And in everyday society, pre-COVID, post-COVID, whatever that's going to look like, there are still vulnerable people in our communities. Some of them will be with other people, but they're still isolated and lonely for all sorts of reasons. And it's it's good when we have different experiences that might not be our norm to remember what those feelings are like so we can empathise with others. So coordinator for the, what's it called, the Otago Neighbourhood Neighbourhood support. support. People in the community might recall it as being Neighbourhood Watch. And uh, it's a, it's well over 20 years old now, 25, I think. Um, it's in partnership with New Zealand Police, who, when it was Neighbourhood Watch, could see that having the neighbours looking out for each other and watching what was going on in their street was actually a helpful crime prevention tool for them. But it has evolved since then into we, we want to um, have connected communities, safe communities that can be resilient communities. And so Otago and New Zealand uh, changed their name to Neighbourhood Support. So nationally, Neighbourhood Support New Zealand. And uh, there are many branches across the world. Australia is still called Neighbourhood Watch, and they're still holding on to the Neighbourhood Watch thing. But I think Neighbourhood Support says it much better. So does that change the nature of the the work of, of the activity, moving from that crime prevention as being primary to that resilient community? Yes, I think it does, Sam, because, and COVID's changed it yet again, because we've got to think about how we can, you know, normally at a basic level, it's about people knowing each other on the street and one person in that street saying, look, I'm going to keep in contact with my friends and neighbours on the street and I'll know that Mrs Brown at number 12 might need some extra help in an emergency or that... Um, we've got a registered nurse at number 15 or whatever. Um, and that information then can be, the coordinator can do a, the street contact can do a quick checkup on their street. If we have an emergency, they can feed that back into me. I can feed that back into the civil defence folks. And they start building a picture about what's going on. But our groups also, some people with busy lives choose to, just catch up maybe once a year. They might just do a ring round, an email round, check if people's details have changed. Other groups will go out for lunch every two or three months or celebrate a midwinter Christmas. or And that's kind of the level. There are groups all over the city at the moment who are doing this, but they don't call it neighbourhood support. They've just evolved into it because of what happened with the lockdowns and things. The difference being if you're a neighbourhood support member, then we, have, we partner with police, civil defence and fire and emergency and we can provide you with resources and newsletters and things like that. I think we learned a lot about the importance of the, the community in terms of that 
support and positive future from Christchurch, particularly the, the eastern suburbs. Yeah. Are you seeing a similar set of lessons coming out of the COVID experience? Well, I was privileged enough to go with a group of people uh, in support with the, the Salvation Army reached out for some people that might be able to help them. They didn't have the numbers to just keep doing the welfare um, support. So a group of us from Otago went up, or several groups went up. I went up for a week with some other folk, and we were under the umbrella of the Salvation Army, and it was just incredible how the people there would say, no, 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 don't look out. I'm fine. You need to go down the road and look after so-and-so. Um, so I think when the first lockdown happened, I was sitting at home. I got a phone call from one of our big retirement villages over in Mosgiel saying we were concerned about our elderly folks who don't have a lot of relatives living nearby. Their staff weren't able to help. At the same time, I had a phone call from one of our large supermarkets in Mosgiel who knew their clients really well because it's still a bit of a village. And um, together, we worked out a way of getting another organisation involved that were already police-checked and you know, capable with health and safety learnings, put them all together, and we were able to organise a grocery delivery service. Because of our contact with the police, we were able to contact them and say, look, there is going to be a van running around and it's going to have this written on the side of it. Um, these people are working. And, and so they weren't stopped or, you know, checked. or It, it just shows you how the same thing happened in Christchurch. People pulled together their resources Barriers dropped. I mean, that sounds dreadful when we're talking about an earthquake, but but barriers between people, um, differences of opinion even, all of that went out the window because there was a common need for everyone. And that's part of my passion is I believe every single person brings something to the table. We don't always have to agree with what they're saying in, in other, in other um, forums, but if we all have a common goal, we can park those things that we don't necessarily agree on and work together for the common good. And I think that's what has happened. I had people ring me up early on saying, oh, I want to take some scones down to Mrs. Brown, but I'm not sure if I'm allowed to. Or Mrs. Jones is taking her dog for a walk. Is that allowed? You know, and, and I didn't know sometimes the answers to those things, but I'm in a position where I can go and find the answers and help others to resolve those things. I can imagine lots of people saying, oh, I'm all right. You need to go down the road and check Nancy. And That's right. Nancy saying the same thing. Do we need to get better at accepting help as a community? We do. And I can put my hand up for that. I'm, I have been a widow for 25 years and I'm pretty fiercely independent. Um, and I did find it difficult to reach out and say, look, actually, I, I need a bit of a hand here. But the other thing that we need to learn how to do is to be able to, to extend help to people in a gracious and caring way and make it easy for them so that you don't feel terrible having to ask. Um, I hear different um, stories in my different roles around the city uh, of, recently of, a, of a, a group of people, a, a couple who were severely affected by COVID Income levels were dropping um, and they were having difficulty with, with um, reaching out. And, but they reached out to a social service agency. This was something way beyond their norm. They would never be in that situation. And, and the actual comment they said to the social worker at the end of the call was, 
thank you so much for making it easy for me to ask for help. So it's a two-way street. Some of us need to um, just remember that it's okay to ask. And when we're the ones offering the help, we just need to stop, wait, listen, and be respectful of where that person is coming from. Let's take the first of your music tracks. Let's have the Hollies. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. Why this one? Oh uh, well, it really dates me, doesn't it? But I don't. I think people of my generation will remember the advertisement that was on the television at the time with a police officer wandering around and helping a little girl find her family. And the the lyrics to that song are still so applicable. Um, possibly could be a little bit more uh, inclusive, but um, we are here to help each other. And I think as I work closely with New Zealand police, I see the the pressures that are applied to them and the multitasking they're expected to do. Um, and I know in my situation, I'm fortunate that I have got colleagues in the police that I can go to and ask for advice or direction as to where to help people. So I just always associate that with, A, that lovely advertisement of the police helping others, and B, the words and the lyrics, they're so what we all need to be thinking about.
to me uh, from everything I've read about you and, and your all today so far, that you are fully committed to making the world a better place. What drives that in you? I just want everyone to know how valuable they are. I think there's many of us wandering around who underestimate the capabilities that we have. I was one of those people. I still am in a lot of ways. I've got friends who say to me, you need to say more about that or you need to stop hiding your light under a bushel. It's our Kiwi thing, the tall poppy thing. It's our, you know, judo-Christian um, thing about being humble and, and, and there's a balance to be had. And I see so many people walking around who don't believe in themselves, who think they don't have anything to offer. And it's my passion to engage with people and encourage them and support them and bringing what they can to whatever it is they're wanting to be involved in. How do we do that? This is a thing that I think about so much. We talk about it a lot on the show. Like, how do we get, uh, in particular, I, I have an interest in children and hit, getting children to a stage in their lives where they can see a pathway forward for themselves and identify what their skills are and what their strengths are. How do you reckon we get that into their conscious mind? Well, I'm a grandmother of three beautiful girls and the oldest is 12 and the youngest is six. And they're blessed to have parents who are affirming and encouraging, but they, I think there's a balance as well. We can go too far in affirming, affirming, affirming. We do have to put the boundaries in place and let children, in my, my own personal belief is, it's part of a job description as a child to push those boundaries. That's what we are put on the planet to do. And until we push the boundary and find out what happens when we do, we don't learn anything. So I think a balanced approach is important, that we affirm our children and um, encourage them in their, in their uh, endeavours, even the ones that um, uh, I'm just thinking of a little person I know who is never going to be a prima ballerina but loves her ballet and gives it so much enthusiasm so why wouldn't you encourage that at the same time then there's the boundaries in place about well you know what if you want to go to that every week you need to do this and this and you need to front up and be ready and blah, blah, blah. so I think it's not all about affirming and affirming it's about balance and giving them those safe secure boundaries to know that that's where they can operate and 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 as they grow push up through them another thing that we that we talk about a lot on the show is climate change and we have a real interest in climate anxiety and the impact of that uh, on communities. Is that something that you're seeing in your local community? 
Well, particularly here in Dunedin, we've got the South Dunedin Coastal Plan underway, and you know, the South Dunedin's a particularly vulnerable area. I live on the Tyree Plain, and we have had you know significant flooding events, so it is on people's radar. Uh, we have a, a city council at the moment who you know is striving to to do things in a in a, in a better, greener more environmentally friendly way and you know that causes pushback it costs money it sometimes it causes compromise I mean we're still talking about building a landfill when you know we really don't want a landfill but we haven't got to the point where we can so we need to put things in place to encourage the recycling and and improve all those sorts of methods so that there'll be a lot less going into the new landfill and then there will not be another one so I'm starting to get off track now about climate change and environment, yes. So I do think people are aware of it, and I'm conscious with my own grandchildren, um, the news stories, and, and, and you know, my, my grandchildren, are particularly my oldest, she's particularly attentive to what's going on in the world around her, and I think we've got to be careful that we don't paint a complete picture of disaster for the young people. That, that, yes, we've got a really major problem, but really bright, bright minds and committed people are working on that problem. We need to give them some balance as well. Mm, that's a good point. If you're thinking about, because, gosh, it's been amazing watching the flooding um, that has occurred down there um, these last couple of years. Do you think that people are sort of thinking 10, 20 years into the future and then and applying you know, all of the scientists' concerns about, um, you know, the impact of climate change and the raising sea levels, do you think that that's becoming a reality in people's thinking or is it, do you think people are still thinking it won't really happen? Oh, no, I think it is becoming a reality. I think there might be some, there always will be in any issue, there's always the died in the wall, we're never going to change kind of people, but I do think it really is. Um, just this week, it's been submission time for the Dunedin City Council annual plan and the number of people who are pushing for the cycleways and the number of times environment came up. Um, yeah, I do think it's on people's radar. Well, that's a positive thing. And do you think that um, do you think that that being on people's radar and the and conversations happening, do you think that's actually going to create the sort of systemic change that we need to be able to mitigate these issues climate change issues I don't want to be I think it is going to create it is not is going to it is creating the change my concern would be at the speed that change is happening I think you know we are all making changes I myself could do a lot more than I do um you know we all need to try harder and change is difficult particularly for some people, and they can't, some folks can't imagine a world where they could just commute to the city on a bus instead of having to line up with a whole lot of people or get on their electric bike and use the new cycle trail or whatever. Um, yes, there are always going to be people who will need their vehicle, who aren't able to use those, but the more of us that can get off the roads in, the, in our, our private cars and use alternative transport, the more the, the able, those that really need to get, get to the hospital or get to, to the medical centre or whatever, will be able to do it. So I think it's important we 
We encourage everyone to make changes. And, and even if some people can just start with a small, if we all do something, um, we need to, again, keep affirming about that and point out the success that we have when we do make the changes, the difference that it makes. And I guess go back to what does this mean for our grandchildren, for our all our friends? And you know, we may not be a, in a family where we have, but we all know young people. They're the future. And what are we as older people doing to protect the future for our younger people? Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokadui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou, kotaoha. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. And I really hope wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique and here, making things better. Thank you. Now I know that for us all the last several years have been very tough. We've had to develop so many new ways of being, doing, seeing, feeling and new strategies in order to navigate, to find our way together through an ever-changing landscape. I know for myself, being part of the show has helped me immeasurably and I hope that for you there has been ways each day to recalibrate, reconceptualise, reframe and present your learnings, your understanding, those you love. I'm so grateful to be able to share this process with you all and it is one that I heartily recommend. And reconfiguring in this way has enabled me to have a sense of peace so that I am, I hope, making a helpful contribution. So a huge thank you to Sam and the whole Blowing Bubbles team for having me, all of you. Thank you. Now, of course, for me, I'm so overwhelmed with joy and bliss and happiness and gratitude that my beautiful school groups are able to return to me at my heart's home, Orokanui Eco Sanctuary. And for the last several weeks, I've had lots and lots of beautiful schools visiting me and it's really just been my favourite, favourite, favourite everything in the whole universe that I get to do. Something that I love about my dream job at Orokanui Eco Sanctuary is that I get to be outside exploring and I get to be sharing time and space and energy and love with beautiful young people who see the world in such a refreshing and open way. Due to our educational system and due to our societal uh, constraints at this time, we can be encouraged to see the world in ways that might not inspire a sense of joy and connection from an early age. So it is a great wonder and a great hopeful joyful relief for me to work with groups and find that within everybody of whatever age there is that joyful child within who can embrace the world with a sense of unconditional love and wonder and can love and appreciate the world in a way that empowers and sustains them as kaitiaki as guardians but also that ensures a loving future and a way forward that not only increases their sense of connection and emotional resilience but also grants personhood and precious rights and 
a sense of ongoing protection to our precious native species, plants, animals, fungi, cyanobacteria, all of them. And I'm so grateful for this opportunity. So I really hope for you as restrictions ease and we are navigating this journey as yet. I have not yet had COVID and so I'm working every day at the moment in different ways at Orkanui to support the team. I really hope that for you, you're having the kind of positive and inspiring experiences that will really help you. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Joy Davis. Joy, there's a whole range of different things that we could talk about. Before the um, before Tahu, we were talking about climate change, but the same thing applies to to social justice or decisions that we're making about a, a whole range of things as a community. And we can't have preset answers for all of those things because something's going to turn up that you know, no, nobody was planning for COVID. So you know, the, the city council didn't have a COVID policy. Well, of course it didn't. And the council and the, the, the central government are, by definition, making stuff up on the fly because that's how it is. What guides you? What, what's the, how do you make decisions about stuff that you hadn't previously thought about? Collaboration, uh, inclusion. I have been a passionate um, practitioner of community-led development for years. And our city council has been quite progressive in the way that they have funded place-based groups. So we have a group in Waikowiti, we have a group in South Dunedin, we have a group over on the Tyree, we have a group, we've got them dotted all around the city. Um, and I believe local people, by and large, have the answers for their community. Now, we always need to get in some professional advice, some experts and other things. But if we listen to what's going on at grassroots level, that's where we are able to develop the policies and plans for the future. And that's why I think some people go, oh, no one takes any notice when we go to and put a submission into council. or, But they actually do take notice. And things like 10-year plans are so important because if we start inputting into them then it can get put in that plan in a year or two years down the track and the finance can start to be looked at it. But I agree, Sam, we also have to be prepared to go, you know what, things have just changed radically. We need to stop and reassess. And in community-led development, there is never a straight line. It is always a zigzag. And everything along that way must be considered as an outcome. I think sometimes, particularly in a funding situation, you are asked to present, this is what you're going to do, this is how you're going to do it, and this is when it's going to be done by. But in community, that's not how it always works. You often end up zigzagging along the way and the whole timeline changes. The outcomes are those zigzags along the way. The engagement that you had with different people. And all sorts of other things can come out from those twists and turns. So you may end up completing that project, but you might have birthed several others along the way. Where's the balance between that community-led development and you said professionals that know what they're doing, but there's also external 
organisations. I live at Sawyer's Bay, so our road is is managed nationally. It, it's um, whatever it's called now, uh, Waka Katahi, yeah. isn't it? And they don't seem connected to the local community. Well, that, that's where we have to do a lot of hard work and lobbying and making sure our arguments are sound. Um, I know recently we had the minister down, council took him for a drive, City, I think the mayor and some other leaders of the city went for a drive with, with the minister. Um, we need our council at that level to really advocate on our behalf. But when opportunities come for grassroots people to submit on, on a bill or on a change, it's um, at a community development level, that's where we go and help people make that. It can be quite overwhelming if you think to make a submission or to even go and sit around the city council table and have 15 people in a very formal setting looking at you. That can be really intimidating. So at a grassroots level, we can empower and encourage people to make those submissions and get the voice. And it is true, Sam, the further south we get, it seems a little more challenging to get, you know, there seems to be a bit of uh, lost in translation as it gets further up the island. But, you know, I also don't believe, I believe in, in collaboration and negotiation and being inside the tent. That's how you get stuff done. And, and listening to... If you come from a polar opposite perspective and you start the discussion with you're wrong, you might as well just walk away from it. We've seen lots of changes in society over the last couple of years of the pandemic. What do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? Well, I'm hoping that the, the caring and the consideration for others will stick. I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that it'll drop off because it's the nature of humanity to do that sort of thing. Um, Self-interest and the almighty dollar comes into it. Um, That'll be the main thing, I hope. I also um, think we need to celebrate, as um, we've done this journey, yes, we haven't always got it right. Yes, we've made policy on the fly. But by goodness, we have also done a lot of good things right. And I guess it's the media's role and it's politicians' role to point out the things we need to continue to work on. But let's get some balance in the discussion and let's celebrate. And that's why it was great just I mean, simple things like I know a little local group of ladies meet once a month for a dinner and a catch-up, and they decided at their meeting they were going to bring gifts for all the nurses that work at um, emergency department at our hospital to say, we know you're really struggling at the moment. Thank you very much. Now, you don't hear about that stuff, but that's the stuff we need to acknowledge. It's it sounds like a small thing, but those small things make huge impacts and they have lasting legacies. So the more of that we can celebrate, the better. Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have the Beatles. Nowhere Man. Why this one? Well, if you think about the lyrics, again, it could be a little bit more inclusive. He's a little nowhere man living in his nowhere land and he doesn't have a point of view. He doesn't feel like he's got a voice to bring. Isn't he a bit like me and you, is what it says. And that, again, goes back to my passion of, no, you, nobody is a nowhere person. They all matter. 
They all are important and they all bring something. We've all had different life journeys. We've all had different opportunities, but everybody matters. So that's why I like the lyrics in that song. He's a real nowhere man Sitting in his nowhere land Making all his nowhere plans For nobody Doesn't have a point of view Knows not where he's going to Isn't he a bit like you? They do indeed all matter. And you said earlier on that extending help and, and working with people in the community doesn't necessarily mean you agree with everybody on everything. Is it important to find a common vision, a common positive vision as, as a way of working together? Absolutely it is. I think... Um, it can, you know, we often look at big things like uh, recently our local swimming pool in Mosgiel. Uh, we, the community, had to raise four and a half million dollars, and the city council came up with about eleven and a half million. Um, and there's a little, you know, tension around that. But my goodness, everything from sausage sizzles to buying a brick to go on the wall, people just really pulled together. So that's kind of an easy thing because. Everyone's, it's kind of a neutral thing and everyone's going to benefit. But um, I just, when I, I work in the not-for-profit and 
honestly, the mahi that gets done by people who are just prepared to give and give and work together. I think of a group that started, it was a a faith-based group, and they started a Christmas lunch, and it was in an RSA. And there was a bit of pushback about, well, what would we do that for? Well, but the RSA had the kitchen. There was a person there that could get the funding. And we were able to put on a whole, the the people there, they put this meal on and um, it went for 10 years. And it was for a range of people. Um, So a whole lot of different people from different backgrounds collaborated to do something that was a a lasting legacy. Um, People still talk about that event. And that goes on all the time. And again, we don't, I like these little things um, that we have uh, on TVNZ, you know, celebrating the good sorts, or sometimes you'll see a little article here and there. It's good to have those highlights of the people that are out there uh, collaborating. Um, And I think when we can all agree on a common goal, we can park those other things. And on the journey, we often find that we've got more korero around that thing that we don't necessarily Often it's just not understanding fully the other position and working together on another project, journeying together helps us gain a wider understanding of people and and where they come from. So I'm all for it. The community has been quite challenged, especially in the last six months or so with the not going to say the emergence of, but the, the the highlighting the the different beliefs about vaccination, perhaps an anti-science almost um, perspective. How do we heal that? How do we move on from that? Yeah, that is a really difficult one. Um, Again, it's about showing a lot of grace and taking deep breaths and trying to understand where that, you know, where that feeling, that understanding, that learning came from. And you can only do that by not racing in and telling them, oh, the science says this or that or the other. You need, we need to just try and ask how they feel about that. There could have been some other family member. There could have been, there could be a whole lot of layers. I think um, social media and uh, whilst it's an absolute boon and technology has been an absolute boon over the, the COVID time, the downside of it is I think we've got a generation coming up now who aren't quite as discerning in the information that they read. And while some of us might be used to reading a particular opinion, we're often uh, able and interested in going to read the opposing position for positions, and then trying to decide for ourselves. But I think that's something we need to raise our young people to be able to do, to be, uh, uh, I'm trying to find the right word, but to to talk, just to take a breath and listen for the other perspective and try and balance it all up and then move together on it. Um, it is difficult when it's such a polarising issue. But, uh, again, no traction ever gets made by just walking away and saying you're wrong. I have some questions to 
end the show with. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, wow. I would say getting through two years of a target neighbourhood support regional coordinator with not being able to meet people. <laughs> <laughs> It's been, it's made me uh, up my game a bit with technology. It's forced us to, we engaged with the Ignite consultants from the university. It, it made us think about, okay, well, how can we be more efficient and effective? So, yes, I think surviving the last couple of years, growing through it, and uh, I think some of the things we've talked about, Sam, in terms of being more empathetic to others' point of view and things like that. I think it has been a real growing time the last two years. That's an interesting dilemma that community led without meeting people, <laughs> or at least only meeting people virtually. Do you think communities are going to come out stronger? I think a lot of us are zoomed out. Um, whilst we really value it, it's really helpful. Uh, there's nothing like being in the room and reading the body language and the feeling the atmosphere in a room with people. I was at a community meeting last evening, uh, and it, you know it's so great now that Orange is here. Sadly, it was in a small coastal community, and they had a community event a couple of weeks ago, and now half the villages is isolating. So, so there were less people at this community meeting than would normally have been there. And that's just the world we're in. We're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. Is our team of people doing good work? So you are in that team. What's your superpower? I think life experience. I think learning life's lessons along the way teaches one... I used to go from naught to 100 quite quickly. And those that know me will tell you that. But I've learned over time, breathe through the nose, stop and just take it all in before you think about a response is, is the best advice I could give anyone, really. I'm getting better at it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Absolutely. I've always been a person who... From an, from an early age, high school, right through, there's no point standing on the sidelines being concerned about an issue. You need to understand it, understand the community that it, it is in, and then work in the, inside it to, to bring the change that you would like to see. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Making the world that we live in a better place to be. And as I said, it's a I'm a people person and I just see so much potential in all the people that I work with and around me, not just them, but what can I learn from them? A day doesn't go by where I haven't, I mean, even in these, this, the short conversation I'm having now, I'm learning. So every day is a new opportunity and we, we should be grateful for it. And, and I can say that from almost a position of privilege. Every day is not. It's a hard grind for a lot of people, a really hard grind, just getting out of bed and facing the day. And sometimes when I'm going around the sea, I'll see an older person perhaps struggling to walk with their bag of shopping or whatever, and I think, my goodness, that person 
probably took them half an hour to get out of bed, longer to get dressed, all of that, and they face the day. They get out there and they face the day. And so that anything I can do to encourage others to do that, um, that's why I get out of bed in the morning. In terms of that facing the day, what challenge or opportunity are you looking forward to in the next year or so? Well, as mentioned at the beginning, I'm standing for the Dunedin City Council, and that will be a steep learning curve for me in terms of it's going to be a very, very busy time. Um, I've been on our community board for the last six years, and I've been the chair for the last three, and that's been busy enough with a full-time role and family and, you know, home commitments. So I'm expecting the next few months to be particularly busy and I need to be wise about plugging in the odd time out. Looking forward to it, though. Again, what an opportunity, what a privilege for a girl whose parents were immigrants from Liverpool to um, end up marrying a sheep farmer and um, now have an opportunity to stand for the Dunedin City Council. My parents would not believe that in a million years. So I intend to grasp every opportunity and every learning moment from it. Um, it's going to be exciting. Beyond the small matter of getting in, what are you hoping to achieve? Well, I'm really encouraged by the way this current council is um, progressive and socially inclusive. Um, so I want to contribute to that. I'm not arrogant enough to think that coming from Little Old Community Board, I've got this all worked out. I need to keep my head down and learn from the experienced folks. I'm blessed that with my role as the chair, I've had a lot to do with staff at council. So I have got a relationship, a working relationship with quite a few of them. And um, despite what many people in the city think, our Dunedin City Council staff don't wake up in the morning and think, how am I going to go and ruin the city today? They get out of their human beings like the rest of us and they are doing their best under many different circumstances. So I hope to contribute to that continued. I've loved the way our council, despite COVID and despite issues around debt ceilings, and they have said we're not a city that's going to sit and do nothing. We still need to move forward. We've got a big hospital build coming. We're just getting a new library and a new... Uh, supermarket in South Dunedin. There's the coastal plan that's happening. The environmental thing is really important. The transport and working with Otago Regional Council is really important. And housing is really important to me. I love the way our council is, um, you know, revamping their housing policy, working with uh, Kainga Ora and refurbishing their own units and looking at how we can, well, I mean, they're always full, but but, you know, we've got nearly a 1,000 community houses, and that's a pretty good achievement for a city council, I believe. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Well, I don't know each listener's personal circumstance, and I've been in really difficult places myself. And I think when you're in a hard place, it's okay to be there. Reach out, though, and get journey with others who can carry you along until you're in a better space, till you can pick yourself up and manage that, that walk through life yourself. There's no shame in that. We all need time where we just need to recharge and let others help us. 
for those that have got the ability, the energy and the resource, get out there and face the day. There's plenty to do and uh, our country needs every one of us to do what we can. And, and finally, I'd say look out for those people who are waiting for you to smile at them who are waiting for you to say, thank you for packing my groceries. Look out for the little things that you can do every day that make a difference. Because that is a great thing about being a Kiwi. Thank you for that. Moira. I just want to say that you're very aptly named. And <laughs> I think that we're really lucky to have you uh, in this community. So glad that your parents chose Aotearoa to be their home. Um, Good luck for the coming election. Um, I hope that the people of Dunedin uh, get to have you representing them because certainly it's clear that your heart is exactly in the right place. And so I wish you all the best for the journey ahead and, and good luck and I hope you get in. Kia ora. Kia ora. Thank you so much. And thank you for this privilege and opportunity. It's been lovely to meet you. Thank you very much for joining us. When you walk through a storm, hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark. At the end. Of a stone, there's a golden sky and the sweet silver sound of love. Walk listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. We have a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is Jerry We're a in Fakatani and Joy Davis from the Torrey Plains. Of that with blowing bubbles, we hope you enjoyed the show.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.